I don't, I don't know about you, but that, that intimidates the tar out of me. Um, I'm, I'm not a DIY kind of guy. I mean, I've tried, but just as an example, um, we just moved into a new house uh, this past week, Christy and I, uh, right back here in Mount Washington Road. I'm not going to be specific because we're still moving in. I don't want you showing up yet, all right? We'll, we'll let you know when we're ready. Um, but uh, one of the things that comes with this particular uh, subdivision is they sod your yard, which is really great. You know, they bring in and roll it out, and it's a cool process. The entire yard, like overnight, you've got a yard, and uh, that's really cool. But you got to, like, water it, you know? And, and, <laughs> and so, uh, fortunately, the rain helped a little bit, but um, the, uh, the guy that the builder was uh, giving me a little tutorial on how to take care of the sod and I'm playing along, you know, like I know what he's talking about. And, and he gets the sprinkler head, one of the sprinkler heads. And he says, now you've used one of these before, right? <laughs> and right at that moment, I do I lie? And oh yeah, man, I know how to use it. And I, and I, I owned up and said, man, I have no idea how to use that sprinkler head. You're going to have to show me. And, and I felt about this big, you know, but, but he, okay, here's what you do. You know, and it's one of those kind of, it's kind of fancy, you know, I, I had used the, the, just the simple back, but you just plug it in and it does its thing. But this was a little more, had settings on it, the timers, you know, with the thing. So I, I got a good lesson in taking care of sod. Uh, about three weeks from now, we'll find out, you know, it's either going to be brown or it's going to take root. And then I get to go buy a lawnmower, man. I'm going to, I'm going to embrace this. You know, I don't know if I'll ever have a hatchet chopping wood, but uh, I just, you know, I'm watching that and I'm like, man, that, that's a little intimidating. But that really is the essence of this series we're in called the life, life according to Jim. Just the practical DIY kind of faith that we're studying through this, this entire book. We started last week, uh, the first half of chapter one. We're going to get into the second half of chapter one. This is about as close as you'll get around here to maybe what we call an exegetical sermon. We break it down verse by verse, you know, we're, and we're going to do that to some degree today. And you've heard me say, I'm not a Bible scholar. I, I majored in music in, in Bible college, so I'm going to throw a lot of Greek and Hebrew at you, but, but we're going to take a good shot at really understanding um, what James has for us today in the second half of chapter one. But before we get into that, uh, just a quick uh, on the personal side, talk about the house. Um, the elders, and along with Fitz, have in their graciousness and wisdom extended an, uh, an opportunity to me to take some time this summer to rest and restore and renew, get my head on straight, get my heart right, physically do the things you do when you turn 50, like colonoscopies. I've got it scheduled, by the way, if anybody wants to join me, you know, uh, and uh, feel free to let me know. We'll go in together on that. Uh, just kidding. No, that's a private thing. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm going to take what uh, we're referring to, you may or may not be familiar with this. It's a biblical thing called sabbatical. Um, it's an eight-week uh, period of time where uh, I told the staff, I said, don't call me, don't text me unless it's to play golf, you know. And uh, we're going to do some of that or some pickleball. Fitz and I like to play pickleball. And and uh, I'm just excited to be able to do that. 28 years here, believe it or not, in ministry. And uh, yeah, and that... Um, 
Uh, that's by the grace of God, you know. Um, it really, really is, and a lot of graciousness from our leadership here and you guys. Uh, my family continues to evolve. You know, Braden, you've heard us say he's getting married here at the end of the year, and so uh, he and I are going to hang out a lot this summer. He's living with us during this final stretch. Christy's pretty pumped about that, and then we'll be full-blown empty nesters by the end of the year, but um, excited to just spend time with Christy, we're going to get away a little bit, um, hang out with Braden. I'm a daughter, Madison, up in Cincinnati. Going to read a ton. I mean, I've got the books stacked up. Going to read a lot um, and just come back. Uh, Fitz has said, and, and we're we're 100% dialed in for the, the the push in front of us, the opportunity in front of us over the next 10 to 15 years uh, for, for what God's going to do here. And we, we want to be, Fitz needs me, and I need Fitz to be in a good place. And we want to lead that and model that with our staff. Um, you know this, but let me remind you, and, and we just recently introduced a, a new guy, Anthony. We've got um, an incredible team here. Uh, of staff and leadership. Uh, Fitz is an incredible leader. He has stood the test. You don't come on uh, to your first full-time lead minister job and survive COVID without, you know, really uh, testing your leadership prowess. And he has succeeded uh, so well in that and is poised uh, to lead this church. And I'm excited to follow him, be led by him as I know you are. But the team that we have here uh, are an amazing group of people. And uh, I told him uh, Wednesday, so I said, I expect things to be even better when I get back than they were. You know, because sometimes you just got to get out of the way of things and let the team do what they do best. So looking forward to uh, this summer. Appreciate your prayers for that. Um, hopefully I don't get on Christy's nerves too much, you know, but uh, she, I know she's excited for, for us to hang out and spend some time together. So uh, thank you, Fitz. Thank you, eldership, for allowing me to, to have this time away. So you won't see me for a few weeks. I'm going to be hanging out at some other churches, uh, bothering some, some friends of mine in ministry and hanging out with them, um, but look forward to, to get back. So I'm going to say kind of whatever I want to say this morning, I'm going to walk away and drop the mic. You know, it's kind of one of those things when you're going to be gone for eight weeks, you can uh, stir some things up and then walk away. Now, we're not going to do that, um, but we are going to uh, dive into scripture. And I want to start, though, with a phrase today that uh, you're probably familiar with, just do it. Uh, What's that make you think of, you know? Um, maybe the shoe brand, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Nike. Uh, basketball player, Michael Jordan, right? Kind of the face of Nike. Now, if you're you know, like MJ's old school, we're talking about LeBron, we're talking about Kobe, we're talking about Steph Curry, if you're into NBA basketball. Although those guys, Steph is uh, ultra armor, so he won't go by this. Uh, he, he's uh, branded by uh, Nike. Uh, so sports in general, this was, this was the mantra, um, it also, you know, makes us think of things like determination. What, you know, what are some other words that it conjures up? Determination, grit, maybe. You know, just that hand to the plow, just that just do it. Discipleship, that DIY. It's action-oriented. That's, that's really the key right there. This is an action-oriented phrase. It makes us think about doing, not just hearing. And the, the thing that's marketing genius about, and you're always looking for this, in the marketing realm is it's simple, right? It's three words, but with just, as we have seen in culture over the last 30 years, profound impact. So a little bit of history. This, this tagline was created in 1987 
Um, it was a part of a, a new Nike brand marketing campaign to inspire the next generation of ath- athletes. And little did they know, it would become a slogan used worldwide. And the opening illustration in a sermon by Jonathan Colbert at Oklahoma Christian Church on June 12, 2022. Little did they know how far in uh, reaching this illustration would be. And on the blog site, Creative Re- Review, the writer writes this about uh, this slogan. He says, whether you view it As an inspirational rallying cry or a bullying command, the slogan, just do it, is hard to avoid in modern life. Accompanied by the familiar Nike swish, it appears on bags, t-shirts, billboards, all over the world. As a statement, it sums up the sports brand. It's competitive, forceful, direct, and as lean and powerful, this is the simple part, as the athletes that appear alongside it in Nike ads. Dan Wyden, he's the author the creator of this phrase came up with a phrase. He said, creatives in the agency all questioned if we really needed it. Like any good idea, it kind of starts out, ah, I'm not sure. And Nike questioned it. And he said, look, I think we do. I think we need it. I believe we have too many. And listen to this. I think we have too many disparate commercials that don't add up to anything without a tagline. You've ever thought you're watching where it's like, does that mean anything to me? And they were able to overcome that with that phrase. The blog continues, for some reason, that line resonated deeply in the athletic community specifically and just as deeply with people who had little or no connection with sports. For some, it became a doctrine to live by. Now, while Dan and his creative agency, Wyden and Kennedy, they get the credit along with a whole stinking lot of money Uh, For coming up with this slogan and ad campaign, a guy named Jim, or as we know him, James, who happened to be the brother of Jesus, is the real creator. He's the real guy with this idea, just do it. So if you got a Bible, open it up to the book of James, the app on your phone, in the seat back there are Bibles. You can grab one of those. Uh, Take it with you. If you don't have a Bible, that Bible in the seat back is now yours. Put your name in it, use it, read it. We're going to study it today. So let's practice what we're going to talk about today and be listeners, hearers of the word of God as we begin in James chapter 1 verse 19. This will be our text for today. James 1 beginning in verse 19. Follow along, read along. It'll be on the screen and let's listen and hear and receive the word of God today. Verse 19. Understand this. My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. There it is. Otherwise... You are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be righteous but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress, and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let's pray. Father, may we hear your word loud and clear today in our life, and as we just read, apply it 
and do something with it. So open our hearts, open our minds today. Thank you for James and his writings, for your inspiration and what he penned for us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so right out of the gate, in this uh, first verse, chapter 9, or verse 19, um, James addresses a sequence in order of things. I want to highlight that real quick because this is really important. He starts with listen, right? That's the first thing. And he says, be quick to get there. So quick to listen, then speak, then get angry. Listen, speak, then angry. And what, what's not in there? He doesn't say, don't speak, and he doesn't say, don't get angry. He just emphasizes the pace in which we arrive at those things. And that's what we want to highlight here for a minute. Can you, can you imagine, let's just dream for a minute in our idealistic minds if, if we did this. Just, you know, just think if we all did this really well, how much better off we would be. But here's, here's, the, here's the issue, all right? We're going to flip it real quick. Here's, here's the world we live in. Let's go. There it is. You got to be quick to anger, right? This is what everybody's telling us. This is the culture. Get, get here first. Start here. Then even quicker, go right, right to speaking your opinion, your frustration with something. Then, then may, maybe at the end of the day, get, get here, uh, you know, um, but, but really get here first. Speak. This is the world, right? So what we got to do is flip that back. But let's, let's hang here for a minute, okay? This is Elizabeth Chain. She's a writer for the Washington Post. And about a year ago, she acknowledged this in an article. She said, Americans are angry. It's like, duh, you know. Uh, the country erupted into the worst civil unrest in decades after the death of George, George Floyd. And anger about police violence and the country's legacy of racism is still running high. At the same time, we're dealing with anger provoked by the coronavirus pandemic, anger at public officials because they've shut down parts of our society. Or anger because they're not doing enough to curb the virus. Anger about being required to wear a mask. Or anger toward people who refuse to wear a mask. Anger at anyone who doesn't see things the right way. We're living in effect in a big anger incubator, said Raymond Navaco, a psychology professor. And as Christians, we've got to work against that. Flip it back. So we flip it back and we, we strive for this. Listen Listen, 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 then speak, then anger. And again, to, to be clear, it's not, it's not don't speak and, and don't be angry, but, but we got we to gotta start with this idea of pausing and praying. And then we apply then this, this next verse in verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God. The word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your soul. See, we got to... We got to start here in the listening aspect um, and, and starting with the, the mirror. Another inspired word from scripture regarding this comes from Matthew chapter 7 where, where Matthew writes, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then... Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So think about that. Think about that before you post, before you speak, before you confront, before you engage. 
engage in conflict? Have you checked the plank in your own eye? And let's, we gotta be honest. We all wear one. We all got one. Do any of us think we are righteous enough to speak first and then listen? We've got it backwards. And so James addresses this in the last section. He goes on in the last section of this chapter as well when he says, control your tongue. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless, he says. In other words, if you're constantly leading with your mouth and your anger and your pride and whatever amount of Christianity you claim and church that you claim association with, whatever association to Christ and church you may sprinkle in along the way, it's just really a facade. It's not real. When we post and spew our opinions in ways that are hurtful more than helpful, we are damaging and hear this loud and clear, the reputation of Christ and his church and replacing him with our own version of a kingdom that has you and me on the throne instead of Jesus. We begin building our kingdom in our way. We, in essence, become like what Dan Whedon described earlier when we said it's a bunch of disparate, incongruent commercials that don't add up to anything. And unfortunately, that is the view of Christians in the church today is we just don't add up to anything. We are spewing opinion rather than love. We are just noise and we can't be that. So we got to confront that. So how does this transformation, how do we be better listeners than speakers? How do we be slow to our anger? How do we remove this beam from our eye? How do we go from being incongruent noisemakers to sold out disciples of Jesus making his name famous and bringing his kingdom to earth? That's what we want, right? That is our mission. Everyone finding and follow Jesus, his kingdom come, his will be done. And to do that, we're talking about what an author years ago I read described as soul surgery. Who likes surgery, right? I mean, who likes to go in and have something removed, an invasive type of surgery? It's not something we look forward to, but it is often necessary. It is the remedy, and this is what God wants to do in our life. He wants to invade our life in the very deepest parts to remove the cancer and the filth of pride and arrogance so that we can, as we read earlier, and here it is, humbly accept the word of God that's been planted in our hearts, for it has the power to save our souls. And so we come back again to listening, receiving, nurturing, cultivating what's been planted in our hearts, the word of God. In other words, getting to the core of who we are, And who God has simply made us to be, which is ultimately this. Moving forward in our passage with James, he writes this. Here's our destiny. But don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't do it and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself. You walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free... And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So here it is again. Just do it. God didn't just give us ears to hear and minds to process and think about and think, God, he did. These are beautiful things. But he gave us hands and he gave us feet to put into action the knowledge we have attained, the instructions we have received. To be doers of the word, not just hearers. So 
How do we make the transition from hearing to doing? How do we go from just being great listeners and slow to anger to being doers of the word? This book came out several years ago called Start with the Why. It's an author named Simon Sinek. He makes a strong case for communicating clear direction and purpose ahead of the ask, ahead of the opportunity. And as kids, I know I was curious. My kids were curious. We're curious creatures. we prone to ask why when mom or dad tells us to do something or our instructor tells us to do something. And it's often accompanied with a degree of attitude or maybe a little bit of frustration. Mom or dad may instruct the child, hey, you know, all the normal things, clean your room, brush your teeth, take out the trash, you know, all the, all the chores. And I don't know if you had kids that said, oh, thank you. I would love to do that, you know, versus why? Or, uh, you know, or all the, the, the words or non-words used in their frustration. And when the child does that, if you're like me, imperfect dad, what's my response? Because I said so, right? We, we pull the parent card, the authority card, and because I said so, or I'm going to count to three, or I'm going to beat the tar out of you. You used to be able to do that. You can't do that now, but, uh, you know, all the, all the things that we would do to motivate our kids to do what we asked to do. But rarely did we give a much of an intellectual, thoughtful response to why that's a good idea. And some, some may have done that. I know I didn't. It was just do it, you know, just, just do it. And even as adults, this attitude carries over. When, when Cynic wrote the book, Start With a Why, it was, I believe, in some degree a response to the growing questions and desire for purpose among the emerging generation. The 20-somethings today more than ever want purpose and reason for what they're going to do. Otherwise, they're not going to take the job. And it's why we're having a hard time finding uh, folks to work in the service in- industry today as much, you know, certainly the pay. But purpose comes right alongside that. And more than ever, people want to do something that matters. And that's a good thing. As long as the thing that matters is really what matters most. As Christians, we believe what matters most boils down to what Jesus tells us matters most. And that's this, Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself and the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then Micah 6, 8 further instructs us. He's shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does he want us to do? He wants us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, as much as I appreciate and as much as we need to be inspired by a great story or a motivational talk and a sermon that compels me to action, I just want to do what God tells me to do because God said, do it. I want to love God and love others and act justly and love mercy and walk humbly simply because God said, do that. Period. I don't, I don't want to make God count to three or bait me with a tree. You've heard me talk about our dog Zoe 
And to this day, 12 years into her life, which is like, uh, you know, what's the math on that? Uh, A bunch of years in human years. Zoe still requires the bait to get in her kennel. We cannot simply say, Zoe, please get in your kennel because we're about to leave. She will stand on the other side of the room and look at us. Or she will walk the other way or go upstairs or her ears will drop and her tail will tuck. And it's this terribly sad moment. So what do we do? We go get the treats. We talk nicely, you know, and bait her, and she slowly walks to the kennel, and she goes in, and she gets a tree. And we have spent hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on treats over the 12 years, so she will go in her kennel. And that's probably, I don't know, poor dog training or whatever, but we do what we got to do to get her uh, to go in her kennel. And I just want to do what God asked me to do, instructs me to do, because I love him. And I know he loves me and that what he asked me to do and what he instructs me to do, and this is the key, I believe and I have faith that it is in my best interest and what will glorify him. When I come to grips with that, then it kind of starts to come around. As soon as I doubt, as soon as I think my ideas are better or my way's better, I would just rather do this. It's going to get really difficult and we get stuck. And when I walk in a manner that's worthy, when I surrender and when I serve and when I give and group and invite, those should sound familiar to you by now. Hopefully they're on our wall in the lobby. We talk about them every week. When I begin to do those things, we call them next steps. It begins with a heart of humility and obedience. It starts there. That's the why And whatever comes as a result, because God's in it, Scripture says God will bless it, then it's perfect, and it's enough. It's just perfect and enough. And so here it is, lean into listening. We'll start there, lean into it. And I mean like literally lean. I think if you're in a conversation with somebody and your posture is leaning forward, they know they've got your attention. And I know I listen better if I literally lean into the conversation. As soon as I sit back, cross my legs, get a little more comfortable, my mind tends to wander, et cetera. So so lean, I mean like literally lean into listening. And then slow down before speaking. You got to pump the brakes, right, or or pause before you're posting. Even better, pray before you post, post Figuratively speaking, post can be just about anything you say. That's just the common expression today is we post things, but we speak things, we spew things. So slow down, pause, pray, pump the brakes. And again, don't not speak. It's just before you speak, do those things. Then, then I phrase it, age your anger. Now, this isn't like don't let things fester. Don't, don't do that. But again, slow, slow to anger, age anger. Let it simmer. Don't, don't let it boil over. Let it, let it cook a little bit. Um, purify it. We're, we're aiming for righteousness, which comes through Christ alone. And our, when our anger is wrapped in that, then it's a good thing. But if it starts and ends from a place of pride and my own way of thinking from a human point of view, it will only lead to harm and division. So let your anger simmer and not boil over and all this inevitably to get in the game this is 
This is really where we got to get to. We, we can do all these things, but if we don't do number four, we're, we're stalled out. So, so God's calling us to be active in the kingdom, not spectators or, or fans or, or statisticians. Anybody into, I love stats. You know, I could, I could do stats all day and love to analyze that a little bit. And you may be a statistician spirit. You may be analyzing everything under the sun, picking it apart, putting it back together, uh, discerning things. And you may be in that, or you may be a historian. Anybody a church history? I love church history. I mean, it's really awesome, awesome stuff. I love the history of our church here, but, but that's still kind of in the intellectual side. So, so don't be a spectator. Don't be a fan, a statistician or a historian. He's calling us to be active in the game, or more specifically, active in the mission. The mission. This isn't really a game, right? I mean, that's an analogy. We're, we're on mission uh, for the kingdom. Uh, recently, I had one, what is always, anytime our staff, Fitz, myself, have a conversation with you all, it's meaningful. And oftentimes it finds its way somehow into an analogy or sermon, into a conversation. And without using a name, I just want to tell you about one of our members who's been around here a long time, longer than me, all right? So many of you have been around here uh, many, many years, decades. And let me tell you this first. This, this guy's at the top of the list when it comes to faithfulness, when it comes to uh, acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with our God, all the things we talked about, A+. plus. But what he shared with me was this issue of passive observer, being a passive observer when it came to this last part of getting in the game. And I, and I share this because he's right where I've been, you are, you've been, and it's, our hearing is fine. Like we're hearing things well. And on a daily basis, we're taking in the word of God. We're here every dog on Sunday listening to messages, hopefully that, that have something uh, to apply, but we're hearing fine. We're, we're not quick to, we're slow to speak. We're not, you know, uh, jumping into things. We're managing our tongue well and anger's not boiling. Oh, those are all in great shape, but, but getting in the game, you know, maybe not so much. And so he shared uh, with me about, <laughs> he's kind of frustrated, like every week, you guys, what's your next step? What's your next step? You know, surrender, serve, give, group, invite. You're always talking about that. And he was like, I'm frustrated because I'm not doing it. I'm not taking a next step. I, I want to find where to put my attendance on the stinking card and there's no place to put it. Anybody? You know? Uh, and, and instead, I need to be, I need to be taking a step, like getting in the game. So he said, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. And it's what I've been putting off. He said, I'm going to have a conversation with my neighbor. My next step is conversation with my neighbor. Lived up with him for years. Take out the trash. Go guys, but ne never talked about Jesus. So I'm going to have that conversation. I'm going to have that Jesus conversation and allow the Lord to do what only he's going to do. And that's going to be my next step. I'm going to do what I've been putting off for, for years. And you see, here it is. He's going to let God do something new in his life. He's going to be like a, a new wineskin that Jesus talks about in one of his parables. And understand this parable, if you're familiar with Jesus talking about pouring new wine into old wineskins. And that's a problem. It's a problem because of this partially fermented wine was stored in wineskins. But, but as the fermentation process continued to produce more gases, and so it stretched the wineskin, which was made from the hide of a goat. 
And so an old skin, which was no longer elastic, could not stretch for this new wine. And so you needed to use new, new skins for the current year's wine production. And the point of the parable is that we need to be like new wine skins, brothers and sisters. You, you and me, new wine skins that can be stretched, that can be elastic, that can be filled as we hear the word of God, but then poured out in action for the king. And so what new wine might God be wanting to pour into you? What new wine might God be wanting to pour into you? What new thing, what next step is he asking you to take in order to get you not so much in the game, but on mission for him? Would you consider that? As we stand, let's stand. As we stand and as we sing this next song together, Let's be new wineskins that new wine can flow into and out of.